Hi everyone, welcome to my podcast, Defining Your Success. I'm your host, Wakas Din. I'm a specialist surgical trainee in ears, nose and throat, working in New Yorkshire and Humber. And I'm currently undertaking a leadership fellowship with Health Education England. It's known as the Future Leaders Programme. So what actually defines success? Success is something we all strive to achieve. For some, it's the job title, the paycheck and the social status. For others, it's the time you free up from work to spend with the people and pursuits that make you the happiest. This podcast series will interview a wide range of guest speakers seeking to explore a number of possible responses to the question, what is success? My guest today is the co-founder and former CEO of award-winning charity Red Thread. Its mission is to support young people to live healthy, safe and happy lives by integrating trauma-informed youth work into the health sector. During his 20 years leading Red Thread, he also founded the UK's first hospital-based violence intervention programme in 2006 and went on to scale the innovation across three cities and 13 hospital partnerships. In 2011, my guest co-founded the Well Centre, a nationally recognised example of primary care best practice, which removes barriers and improves access for young people to urgent care and mental health support. In the Queen's 2019 New Year's Honours, he was deservedly awarded an OBE for services to victims of violence. He is a system leader with a strong track record of collaboration across organisations and sectors to improve health outcomes and reduce health inequalities. Throughout his career, my guest has pursued his passions for innovation, policy improvement and thought leadership to support systemic change and to create healthier, safer and happier communities for all. Welcome, John Poynton. Thank you, Wakas. Great to be here. It's great having you here as well, John. So tell us a little bit more about how you actually got into the work that you did. Great. Yeah, well, if I cast my mind back all the, all that that way I, I think I, um, I I started out my career at not being sure whether to go down a formal teaching route or an informal education sort of youth work route spent a year sort of doing a bit of both uh, and realized that whilst my family are all educationalists and have gone down the formal route including my wife brother and sister actually I was more inclined to work with young people um, outside of that formal sort of system um, and so that started I suppose my sort of career back out in Essex where I grew up and then moving up to London to really look at how to support young people when they reach out and ask for help um, and yes yeah, so that's kind of how I started and um, 20 years ago it was starting working with GPs in the community where they were aware that young people were disproportionately affected by you know sort of uh, poor mental health or or violence sexual health and a lot of that was about uh, me coming in as a youth worker to help to simplify the system uh, for young people uh, if i cast my mind back i remember thinking i'll i'll do this for maybe a year and then i'll i'll do something else yeah. 20 years later um, I'm still as passionate and excited about uh, these opportunities to really ensure that young people can navigate this incredibly complex system and reach out themselves, be empowered to uh, create their own change and inc- uh, you know, improve their own lives uh, without being passed from pillar to post uh, that they might feel they're being done. We'll definitely talk more about the impact that you've had on these children and teenagers. 
However, for yourself, how easy was it to make the decision into going into this line of work? Um, I think I, um, I, I studied and did, did youth work and theology. And, and, and so youth work was always sort of a passion of mine. Uh, again, that sort of uh, voluntary engagement where young people choose to engage um, outside of that, that formal sort of school setting. Um, so yeah, relatively early on, after my Top Gun, I was going to join the RAF and be a fighter pilot like oh, Tom wow. Cruise. Then I realised <laughs> that that was possibly not going to be me. Um, but, you know, actually, it was it was um, early on that I realised I, I really enjoyed engaging with young people uh, when they were sort of you know really wanting to talk through some of the things they were struggling with. I mean, you've got the looks of a fighter pilot, John. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very happy that you chose the pathway you actually did as well. Um, and how easy was it getting set up? You know, I, I mean, we all look to do things to improve the people around us and the environment around us. And you've done an amazing job of this. But how easy was it to get things actually started and get that ball actually rolling? Um, I mean, I think in, in one sense... Um, things naturally take their course I, I, I think I think they're so so it, I, I suppose I'd say incredibly easy at, at the same time as going actually it took me 20 years to get to you know sort of perhaps where I thought I'd be a little bit sooner certainly from a youth work and a charity point of view partnering with um, the health system with the NHS with primary and secondary care is incredibly powerful um, I think not that I ever carry coins around with me, but my, one of my favourite phrases is, um, is a quotation from Isaac Newton that, that actually is, is uh, on the edge of the £2 coin. But uh, he talked about, if I have seen further, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. And I think for any charity, youth worker or, or other, other areas of the, the sort of voluntary sector, I think working in partnership with doctors and nurses and with anchor institutions like acute trusts is an incredible way of um, really um, sort of creating powerful partnerships that make a real difference at a community level. So I think if I'd set out to, to try to do what I've done or what Red Thread has done um, without working in partnership with the health system, then, then it would have been incredibly difficult but to ride on the shoulders of giants that, that are the anchor institutions in a community, that are the doctors and nurses that are you know, delivering life-saving medical interventions. You know, actually, it made my job both uh, incredibly powerful, easier, but also incredibly enjoyable. And I think, you know, again, it's about relationships when it's whether it's, it's, it's building that trust both with the young people or the patient but it's also that trust and that bond that is built with your colleagues. And so even though Red Thread started out as a very small charity and grew, actually, I was always working with whether it was GPs or whether it was emergency departments. You know, I was always much, I always felt part of a much bigger family. And I think that yeah. made things much easier and much more powerful. It's actually quite refreshing and great to hear that other allied health professionals have been very supportive of your ideas. And this has a knock-on effect on us as well. Uh, as a doctor, on a daily basis, the help from the voluntary sector 
this has an impact positively on our patients as well and it is absolutely invaluable so thank you for that help in regards to any barriers in setting up red thread how was it i mean i think um I think all all charities, you know, all businesses uh, always face that barrier of, of being able to fund the work. And I think that's um, that's something to be looked at. I think when you're looking at innovations, things that haven't existed before, and and hospital-based violence intervention programs was was one back uh, originally. Funding it um, uh, sustainably is a huge barrier. You know. To, to match fund and, and to, to do that with a lot of stakeholders and funders makes that easier but it's it's hard to then keep that going um, so you've got all of those sort of day-to-day business operational barriers you know I mean for me personally I can remember um, back when I just started on this journey recognizing this power a powerful moment teachable moment within the health system and that opportunity to help young people navigate um, their own journey and their own path and create their own behavior change Um, my father passed away and that was a huge barrier Um, unexpected very sudden uh, and a barrier to to you know take up an awful lot of emotional um, time and space but actually again uh, was an opportunity that that certainly uh, I suppose uh, gave me a lot of um, a lot of focus um, to, to, to do something that I knew was, was uh, a new area that was a right area. Uh, it was something that um, I suppose I wanted to, to, to get to grips with this new project, this new role, this new innovation, something that, that I suppose my late father would be proud of. And so you, there's personal barriers and there are operational barriers. Um, and I think that you can't uh, split off personal uh, your personal life and your work life, uh, especially when you're looking at innovation, those they do they do certainly um, in overlap. No, I very much agree that it all does tie in with each other. And having met you as well, I can see how much your work actually does matter to you. I can imagine there's some amazing teenagers that you've met over the years with some uh, very interesting stories. Is there any of these stories that you can actually share with us, uh, including the impact that Red Thread has had for them? Yeah, you're, you're quite right. It, it, meeting the young people, sitting down with the young people, you know, it, it's one thing to put together a, you know, sort of a, a treatment plan or a social, you know, sort of intervention plan for a young person um, uh, or, or to try and plan out, a, you know, a business case for the charity or for a business. But and unless you're doing that with the young person's story in mind it's 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 very difficult to imagine um there have been young young people's stories young people's experience uh, certainly has guided my both my sort of the work but my passion my energy for why i've done what i've done and why the charity has sort of developed and grown um uh, I, 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 could, I could give you a number of different case studies and, and case studies, you know, again, it sort of slightly um, clinicalises the, the, the story but I could talk to you about one young person who, you know, had been um, shot when he was a teenager and he'd had amazing, you know, life-saving medical treatment 
but that was before there were there was a hospital-based violence intervention program a red thread team in the hospital that he was in and so he was discharged and um, you know and, and had had this experience um, but actually then in his early 20s he was shot again um, but this time he, he came to the hospital when it had uh, a red thread intervention a hospital-based violence intervention so the the psychosocial sort of element uh, alongside the, the medical intervention and that was hugely transformative for him because again obviously there's all of the physical rehabilitation from having gone through a penetrating trauma but for him there was that social um, and psychological rehabilitation that, that made all the difference so that was you know young people like that whose stories were were and still are incredibly powerful in um, you know sort of inspiring and directing the way that I engage with the work yeah, I think that was a great example to actually use somebody who's been in the system with a similar problem prior to Red Thread and again afterwards and that positive impact that the organisation has actually had on them. You, you talked a little bit about the stories of these teenagers and I can imagine they come from varying backgrounds. What kind of things have you had to overcome in regards to that? I mean, I think, I think it's incredibly... Um... I suppose, I suppose the, the work often of the voluntary sector or of the, of the charity, of a charity like Red Thread, but uh, like many others, it, it's about um, helping young people um, navigate the barriers that, that a system has to set up. You know, and the health system is one of the most siloed, you know, sort of, I suppose, systems out there because obviously it's so complex to, to have to run an NHS at a population level. But if we think about our average, uh, normal, developing adolescent, you know, they've got to navigate these barriers between mental health services or sexual health services or primary care or, you know, uh, the emergency department. They may or may not have a long-term condition and they've got to deal with that, you know, at the same time as navigating, um, you know, education uh, or, or they might be self-medicating for a number of different reasons uh, perhaps from some of their own adverse childhood experiences and so then there, there's a whole other service there for you know substance misuse and I think in in one sense actually some of the barriers are about uh, it, the barriers for the young person and it's about helping them navigate that uh, and I think it, it's not it's not to blame the system the system has to be um, compartmentalized or siloed um, for, for you know for certain reasons to, to be able to manage services but those are some of the barriers that actually uh, we need to, to support young people to navigate so that they actually can uh, actively um, engage themselves uh, young people that are victims of violence are are going to either before have have been coping with um, mental health issues perhaps or secondarily possibly as a result of having been a victim of violence will have to deal with mental health and so we can't we can't split you know mental health out from physical health mm -hmm. in the way that often you know sort of uh, yeah. gets done i think yeah easily in medicine in surgery you do see that we tend to compartmentalize things and i think 
it's that appreciation that these are complex needs they are interlinked and again you know the work you're doing you know there's that appreciation of that which sometimes as medics we can sometimes forget you know when we're actually looking at people you know as patients that we have to treat um, you know one after the other so you know yeah thank you it's an eye-opener for a lot of us as well um, in regards to that just with yourself really I mean what's next for you um, I know you've had 20 years at Red Thread um, what can we expect from John uh, going forward yeah it's a really exciting time actually to to just step back I think um, you know I mean, we often use the analogy of um, not being able to see the wood for the trees. Uh, I, I quite like the analogy of, of uh, uh, sometimes it's important to step off the dance floor, you know, to, to stand on the balcony and, and look out and get a little bit more of a strategic uh, view of, of what's next. And I think for me, after 20 years of, of you know, being um, I, I'm still as passionate about the work, uh, but... but it's time to just take that step back and to think strategically. So, you know, for, for me, this is an opportunity to support uh, a number of different organisations or systems uh, to think about uh, how they engage with the most marginalised in society or those disproportionately affected post-pandemic. You know, young people often uh, need that support and it's, it, it has been... Uh, the joy of my life to work uh, with sort of the the one platform that is one organisation or one charity, um, but you know for me going forward it's it's very much about supporting on multiple platforms across multiple systems uh, and with lots of different organisations to really scale the impact of what we know works to support young people uh, and to magnify that and to scale those sorts of opportunities to support young people you know far and wide whether that's at a, a regional level or a national level or whether it's at a global level I think there are you know lots of conversations to be had lots of support to be put in place and you know charities are absolutely uh, brilliant vehicles for doing really intricate um, interventions and support in communities um, and I think that there are opportunities to scale, you know, beyond any one charity. Um, I think I think often uh, when we work within one organisation, we fall in love, as it were, with our own solution or our own product. If we were talking from a business point of view, and sometimes we've got to fall in love is a is a, an odd phrase, but we've got to fall in love with the problem. You know, that really difficult, gritty big problem and we've got to really think about all of the solutions uh, and there's never one solution there's never a clean you know sort of fit for one intervention so it's about thinking you know spending a lot of time thinking about the, the wider problems um, of society and to, to really engage with those so yeah exciting exciting times yeah, most definitely is, John. And it's very easy to just stay in your comfort zone and stay at red thread. You've done amazing work there and it's a highly successful organisation. And I think a lot of us would be tempted to just take it easy and just carry on the process where we are. And I think it takes a lot to just step back and see, you know, where can I make my biggest positive impact? And for you, that is with other organizations where you can take these experiences 
for a lot of us we're quite early on in our leadership journey and i think that's something we should really look at and aspire to as well that no matter what you've achieved and what you've done there's always more you can do and it's good to assess and see where you can do most and try to do that yeah i think you're right i think it can be very it can be very easy like you say for leaders to stay in their comfort zone and um i think you know there's a lot of talk there's always a lot of talk within in the voluntary sector um, and elsewhere about sort of founder syndrome and you know that founders you know can make the mistake of staying too long because they're so passionate about the the organization the work the intervention and actually um stepping away is is freeing up an organization you know red thread is is going to go on to do bigger and better and more amazing things than than i would have been able to lead it in doing uh, and i think you know yes it's about stepping out of your comfort zone uh, but i think that's exciting it means that the trajectory for the charity can just go um up and onwards and and for me it's about you know actually uh, being out of your comfort zone means you get to do the exciting things that yes scare you but also again have the most impact yeah most definitely just with yourself as well john you're such a successful person and we can all see what you've achieved how easy have you found it over the years in taking criticism yeah it's interesting isn't it it's um i think uh well it's never easy is it um and I think that that all of us can take things probably quite personally. I think what's, yeah, I think what's interesting is understanding um, where that criticism comes from, and you know, is it our role to take it personally, or is it our role to to understand, you know, what the bigger picture is? So certainly, I've taken criticism personally. Um, I think in in this new phase, I realise that you know that stepping back from the dance floor onto the balcony mm-hmm. enables me to sort of uh, I suppose remove the blinkers a little bit, not have s- sort of um, the 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 tunnel vision on the on on one organisation, where um, where I think we we often take things a little bit more personally than we were ever meant to. I think it's very important really to have that awareness that even though we think we are doing something the right way there might be other ways to do it as well that are also right and you should always look to take other opinions on board as well you might find that is more suited to you and you know with a lot of us we're growing into more senior roles over the next few years and the fellowship and I think it's important that we have that awareness that we're always learning, we're always developing, and we can always learn of other people as well. So just moving on from this, one of the questions we do like to ask all of our guests is, so you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to a 12-year-old John Poynton, what would it be? That's a really interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I think um, 12 years, that's, that's a long time ago, isn't it? But but an interesting question in that my, I've got twins, a boy and a girl, and they're, they're only just 14, so not not that long off if I'm thinking about what, what I would have encouraged myself. So what would I have encouraged myself at 12 or my own children now at 14? You know, I think, I think I certainly didn't know what, well, I think at 12 I was probably still thinking I'd be a Tom Cruise RAF pilot. <laughs> Um, 
never too late. It's never too late. <laughs> it possibly is. Um, I think that um, helping a 12-year-old me understand that it is human beings and it is relationships and conversations is actually the key ingredient in whatever you go on to do. So yes, there is obviously um, technical skills to be learnt and acquired never more so in, in your line of work in, in, a, in a, uh, a surgical setting I suppose but I think um, understanding that people are not to be taken for granted and every person whether they are a leader themselves or a patient or you know a family member um, a colleague or, or so on it's, it's building that trust and rapport having those conversations again listening listening twice as hard as you you know do talk you know like people say you've got two ears and one mouth it's it's hearing people's stories it's and in in listening to people's stories then building that trust because they have felt heard those are some of the the key ingredients i think to knowing that you've been true to yourself you haven't tried to, you know, sell people on something. You have really engaged, listened, and people then know you for who you are because you have listened to them, and you have uh, engaged, you know, in their life, and, and they've given you that, you know, that sort of privileged position of supporting them because you listened. Often, people don't feel heard; they don't feel listened, and, and adolescents, uh, perhaps more than ever. Um, don't always feel heard because they're, you know, sort of, uh, they're in that vulnerable transition between between childhood and adolescence and adulthood. Um, so yes, so certainly that would be one of the key areas. Is is always take time for conversations, build trust by building relationships. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, listening with fascination. You know, there's there's that entire books that have been you know, wrote on it as well. And, you know, it is important again, you know, just to take that time to listen. I feel a lot of us sometimes feel ready to say the next thing already before the other person has even finished. And it is very important to listen to that person and to acknowledge what they're actually saying. And, you know, that can move things forward in the right direction in many aspects of our life. Um, and it, with yourself, you know, we can look in from the outside and see what success story uh, your life has been John but do you see yourself as being a success <laughs> that's a very a very interesting uh, question um, yeah, I, I, um, I don't I don't know that I ever really think in that in that sense um, I, I, I it's certainly an, an honor to be on on the podcast and and to think and reflect on some of those successes in life um, so that so in that sense, yes, I, I suppose so. Um, but um, I mean, looking at you, what I do see is you're somebody who's never quite happy with what they've achieved. I think you always want a bit more. And, you know, I see that drive just listening to you and speaking to you that, you know, you're already looking at the next thing you can do. You know, what is the next big impact I can make? And I think... You know, is success enough, I guess, is probably a better question to ask yourself. You know, you've done amazing up to now, but, you know, is it ever enough for yourself? 
do, do you think you would ever get to that point where you feel you know I, I've done enough you know I've made enough of a change here in, in a positive way yeah I suppose um it is how you define success isn't it like you said uh the intro to the podcast how do people define success um certainly sort of uh, those those of us that will probably work in the the health system or in the in the charity sector um maybe don't define success in the same way that perhaps people do in other uh, sort of professional sectors uh, of society um i think i think that if if um well speaking personally if i if i i worry that that if i allowed myself to think I'd been successful then I would uh, for want of a better phrase rest on my laurels as it were I think I think um, I think that um, that underdog element or that sense of competition is not a bad thing I think sometimes we we talk about that sort of underdog spirit as a negative concept you know but there are many times when I've sat in a room and I've been very happy to be the, you know, the least smart person in the room. But I'm obviously bringing something perhaps different than, than other people's perspectives. Um, and I think, you know, so it is about feeling successful enough to be confident to dream big, um, but never resting on your laurels because there are plenty of um, areas to be tackled whether that's looking at social issues whether that's looking at, at areas of medicine we we know that there is always plenty to do so it's being it's, it's about not being worried um, about it's failure I guess isn't yeah. it a lot of us just worry that things just won't work out yeah yeah and I think in that sense you know um, Michael Jordan's got that amazing quote, hasn't he, about when people said, um, what, what's it like being so successful? He says, actually, I have succeeded because I failed so many times. You know, yeah. I've missed the, the shot on the buzzer 200 times, whatever. <laughs> and it's a great quote if you Google it. Or, yeah. or um, uh, uh, you know, the, the um, Edison and the light bulb talked about actually I haven't just suddenly been successful in the light bulb I failed 999 times and then got to the product that we have today yeah definitely you know when you think about it what is innovation really it's a problem that everybody else before that has actually failed at actually solving and you've come up with that first solution to that issue and when I think of Red Thread, I think of it as being an innovative charity in what it's actually set up to help these teenagers in London and all these other cities as well. And it might not be perfect, but it's paved the way for all the work that's going to come after it as well and all the growth from that as well. And, you know, thank you for that. So just moving on, really. And to end the podcast, we like to ask everybody, what actually defines success for you? Um, I think for me it's it's about you know it is about making a difference in people's lives you know my career so far has been very focused on that vulnerable transition of adolescence between childhood and adulthood and, and supporting young people at points of crisis uh, for me 
you know, that is, it's, you know, on the dance floor, that is about making a difference in, in empowering young people to make the difference, not making the difference to them, but empowering young people to make a difference in their own lives. At the same time as then on the balcony, it is about scaling what we know has supported and changed the lives of young people, you know, and, and doing that by scaling that impact, you know, across geographical or, or other boundaries. And, you know, so for me, it's about making a difference to communities uh, and to families. And it's about taking, you know, in Red Thread's example, it's taking terrible, traumatic crises and somehow enabling those young people to find a silver lining um, to a horrific event and ensuring that that is not wasted as it were and that's that's part of it and and you know and so I suppose yeah that success for me is very much about then looking at scaling not just growing but really scaling that impact so that you multiply it and I remember that quote that you actually mentioned to me about how the changes that you actually make for people, it's not about what you do, but it's how you actually make them feel, which is really beautiful when you when you do think about it. Yes, so yeah, that's um, Maya Angelou, isn't it? Um, uh, the late poet in the States, Maya Angelou, yeah, who said, um, uh, people remember how you made them feel, not what you did, or words to that effect. And I think for me, certainly, that informs my perspective on success. Um, you know, um, the people that we meet, both our colleagues and our patients or our young people, you know, they will remember uh, the interactions from how, it, how they felt, not from remembering everything that they were told or was done to them, and I think, you know, um, that's a huge, you know, aspiration for us all. I think to to work in a way that means that in years to come, people will look back and remember how we made people feel, rather than them remembering everything we did for them. That's a great answer, John. And I think on that note as well, it's important that we thank you for the great work you've done with Red Thread in changing the lives of these children as they go into adulthood, you know, this will have an impact on their entire lives going forward. And on behalf of them, I'd like to thank you as well. I can see how passionate you are about your work and any, anybody listening can see that and you'd be a commodity for any organisation going forward. And I can only wish you the best in this. And once again, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Oh, thank you very much, Wagas. Really great to be with you today. Thank you for listening to Defining Your Success with Wakastain. Any ratings, reviews and subscriptions will be appreciated if you enjoyed the episode. And please feel free to leave any feedback on my email wakas.din at hee.nhs.uk That's w-a-q-a-s dot d-i-n at hee.nhs.uk Thank you.